morning again. I know that you were, uh, some of you are online because I took a look at Facebook and I'm watching the scrolling, everybody saying hi to everybody else. And, and uh, so it's a good time to say hi to everyone. And, you know, kind of in between, you know, before I start teaching, we have that time of welcoming one another. And so you guys can all say hi and welcome. And I say hi to everyone and miss you guys and, and uh, can't wait till all this is over. Um, Sooner as you're done saying hi, if you would, get your Bibles out and turn to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 11. We're going to look at the first 11 verses there in Mark, chapter 11. We'll get back to our verse-by-verse study through the book of Colossians as soon as Easter is over. Uh, Wednesday night, I didn't tell you during announcements, Wednesdays we're in the book of uh, Esther. We'll be in chapters 5 through 7 on Wednesday. And so if you want to tune in for that, Wednesday night at 7 o'clock, we'll be that, have that online as well. But this morning, Mark chapter 11, verses 1 through 11. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time this morning. Lord, this time that though we're not all gathered together in this building, our hearts are gathered together, Lord. We're here together as a church to hear from your word this morning and to allow your word to change our hearts, to encourage our hearts, to really, uh, Lord, draw us closer to you and our relationship with you. Father, we do pray if there's anyone that is listening that is yet to surrender their heart and life to you, they're not born again this morning, we pray, Father, that you would especially touch their heart today, that they would see their need for you and they would be born again today. Thank you, Lord, for the technology that you've given to us that we might be able to continue just to preach your word, to preach the gospel. We pray, Lord, today on on many of the online services going on, Lord, that you would have your blessing upon it and that many lives would be changed through it. We commit our time to you now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Time my study this morning is Palm Sunday and the Triumphal Exit. I always liked Palm Sunday as a kid because you'd go to church and there was something different going on and and they would always give you on your way out, they'd give you a little palm branch. And I liked that because in the car ride on the way home, you can get your little brother and you put it in his ear and kind of tickle him and he gets mad at you. You do the sword fights with him. And I figured out that's probably why they gave the palm branches at the end of service instead of the beginning of service because we'll probably be doing that all during service. But today we celebrate what is called Palm Sunday. I find it interesting that we don't have the, you know, feeding the 5,000 Friday or water turned into wine Wednesday. I would imagine people would probably break their quarantines if we did. I suppose you could call it spread your clothes on the road a Sunday because they did that as well. But we call it Palm Sunday. We also call it the triumphal entry. Its account is found in all four Gospels. It's in Matthew 21, Luke 19, John 12, and here in Mark 11. I like to call it the triumphal exit because that's really what Jesus was about to do. He was entering Jerusalem to exit this earth via the cross. He would be back three days later, risen from the dead. But this, again, was the beginning of his triumphal exit. Now, if you're taking notes, and I encourage that you do, I want to point out three points this morning. Number one, Jesus leads... Number two, Jesus fulfills. And number three, Jesus delivers. Number one, Jesus leads. Look at verses one through four. Now when they drew near Jerusalem to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples and he said to them, 
Go into the village opposite you, and as soon as you have entered it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has sat. Loose it and bring it. And if anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it. And immediately he will send it here. So they went their way and found the colt tied by the door outside on the street, and they loosed it. I find this interesting. Jesus says, okay, I need a couple of you, of you disciples. I want to use you for a task. He says, okay, boys, I want you to go into the city and, and, and where nobody knows you. And I want you to untie this colt, or, or rightly translated, a young donkey, and bring this donkey to me. And if anyone asks you what's going on, just tell them the Lord needs it. Now, that's really putting the disciples to the test. It's putting them in a place of being obedient, whether they understand the big picture or not. I mean, think about what Jesus was asking his disciples to do, to walk in faith, to walk in obedience. First of all, they had to believe that there was going to be a donkey tied there, just as he said there would be. Secondly, they they were to go right up to this unbroken donkey, unloosen it, and lead it back. And then third, they were to, to say nothing unless challenged by the owners or anyone else, and they would only repeat a phrase, not really explaining themselves. It'd be like if someone today, if it's okay, I need a couple of guys to go down into town, and there's a guy in his house, and he's got this, this brand new Harley Davidson motorcycle, never ridden before ever. I want you to open up the garage and, and bring it to me, and if the owner asks what you're doing, just say, the Lord has need of it. I mean, when you think of it that way, you understand this is a big deal. You understand the type of request that the Lord was asking them to, to do. And, and, you know, I think if I were one of the disciples, I would be really apprehensive about it. But they followed the Lord's leading. They listened to his words. They were obedient to what he called them to do. Look now at verses 5 and 6. But some of those who stood there said to them, what are you doing loosing the colt? And they spoke to them just as Jesus had commanded. So they let them go. And that's it. No complaints. No, wait, 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 what's going on? And uh, no, just take the donkey. Listen, you've heard the phrase, where God guides, God provides. That is still true to this day, absolutely. Isaiah 58, 11, we're told, The Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your soul in drought and strengthen your bones. You shall be like a watered garden and like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. See, God wants to lead us every step of our journey, not just in the big decisions that we need to make, But even in the small ones, the little ones, he wants to provide for every need that we have. That's the role of a father taking care of his children. And even in these days of quarantine, these days of staying in our homes and empty grocery shelves, God doesn't change. He's still there. He's still on the stone. He's still going to provide for you and for me. He will satisfy your soul to drought, strengthen your bones. You shall be like a watered garden and like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. It's interesting to me that the Lord told these two disciples, if anyone asks, just tell them the Lord has need of it. That's a a very interesting paradox, that the Lord would have need of anything. But yet we read in Mark's Gospel, chapter 4, that he needed to borrow a boat to sit in it to preach, that he needed five loaves and two fish to feed the crowd. We also know that he needed a, a borrowed tomb to be buried in so he could rise from. 
See, the Lord has chosen to place himself in, in a place where he has a need. Paul said, he was rich has become poor for our sakes. Why did the Lord place himself in, in a place of need so we can partner with him to meet that need? Whether it's fishing for men, Peter, can I borrow your boat? Oh, sure, Lord. Or it's feeding the 5,000. Uh, son, can, can I use your food? God wants to partner with us. And right now, God wants us to be praying for one another, seeing how we can meet one another's needs. We want to be the arms of Christ, reaching out to those around us, even in the midst of a global pandemic. But understand this, the Lord doesn't need anything. He needs us about as much as, you know, I needed my kids when they were three or four to help me paint my house. But there are times when, you know, I would give them a job to do so they can learn and so they can be a part of the, of the blessing. And listen, it's the same thing here. The Lord could have easily had a donkey just walk right up to him, you know, and, and, and where they were at. But instead, he chose to use his disciples. And again, God wants to use each one of us as believers this morning to point people to himself. Maybe your neighbor's out working in his yard like half of America is doing since we're all quarantined. Maybe you've never had a conversation with your neighbor as long as you've lived there and, and suddenly he asks you, six feet apart as well, so what do you think is going on in the world today? Do you think it's the end of the world? I mean, what do you think? Uh, you're, you're one of those religious guys. I, I mean, is, is there any hope? Listen, that's God's way of saying, I want you to share, I want you to talk, I want you to reach those around you. So the Lord is leading his disciples to go into this town and get this donkey and bring them, bring it back to him. Interesting fact about donkeys. Donkeys love to roll in the dirt. They love to do that more than anything else. That's why when you touch them, this cloud of dust, poof, goes up into the air. And the other thing about donkeys, and I don't know if you know this or not, unless you've participated in a donkey basketball game, you get on these donkeys and they don't want to move. They are stubborn as they're, they're what they're known for. Just stubborn. They don't want to move and you can kick them and, and kick them. It doesn't matter at all. I mean, isn't that a perfect picture of us before we come to Christ? A stubborn, strong-willed people who likes to roll around in the dirt of sin? Here's another interesting fact about donkeys. Did you know that according to Exodus 13, 13, before a donkey could be released and used by their master, they had to be redeemed. Now, this all had to do with the Jews leaving Egypt and sparing the firstborn son. But listen to Exodus 13, 13. But every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb. And if you will not redeem it, then you shall break its neck. And all the firstborn of men among your sons you shall redeem. So whenever there was a donkey born, a lamb had to die so the donkey could live. I'm sure the lambs are going, that's a bad deal. That's, that's, not, that's not something we like. But you see, if there were no sacrifice, that donkey would be, have to be put to death. Its neck would be broken. Now what is interesting to me in that same verse there in Exodus 13, 13, it speaks of the firstborn of man being redeemed. Again, what a great picture of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God sent to die for, the, for us dumb donkeys, us strong-willed donkeys, us stubborn donkeys. Our Jesus came as the Lamb of God and came in to redeem us so we would not have to have our necks broken. He redeemed us 
and delivered us from his wrath to come and delivered us from, from sin and from death. Now, that's not a bad deal, if I could say so myself. Now, in the time of Christ, in that culture, to ride a donkey coming in like that was a sign of a conquering hero. And so for Jesus to enter Jerusalem on a donkey, it was a definite attention getter. For Rome, when Jesus came in on the donkey, they said, look, he's acting as though he's returning from, from war as a hero. But the Jews, they saw a different significance. For the Jews, they understood that Jesus was saying, I am your Messiah. But they wanted him to be king right then and there and overthrow the Roman oppression. But that's not what Jesus came to do. This leads us to our second point. If you're taking notes, number two, Jesus fulfills. Look at verses 7 and 8. Then they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their clothes on it and sat on it. And many spread their clothes on the road and others cut down leafy branches from the trees and spread them on the road. In John's Gospel, we read of the crowd waving the palm branches when they see Jesus. Now, why would they do this? Why would they wave the palm branches? Well, earlier in their national history, the Jews had waved palm branches when the Maccabees overthrew the Syrian oppression. It was during this time that this bloodthirsty Syrian king named Antiochus Epiphanes, a man so blasphemous that he slaughtered a pig there in the Holy of Holies and made the priest drink its blood in, in the temple there, Epiphanes bludgeoned the Jews into submission. After several years of this, though, a man named Judas Maccabee, whose name meant hammer, and his brothers decided really to bring the hammer down on Antiochus Epiphanes by launching this guerrilla war against him. And so Maccabee and, and, and his band of renegades miraculously overcame the Assyrian army, drove Epiphanes from Jerusalem. And as a result, the spontaneous celebration started of the waving of the palm branches as they were parading down the street. And from that point on, even on the back of the Jewish coins, you picture the palm branch as a symbol of deliverance from oppression, a symbol of victory. The palm was a patriotic symbol of freedom. Today it would be like waving the American flag or, or handing out stuffed bald eagles, a symbol of freedom. Well, why were they doing this? Well, they wanted another Judas Maccabee to come in and deliver them. They wanted to crown him as king. They wanted to be free from the oppression of Rome. But Jesus had other plans to fulfill many prophecies. Let me give you three examples of the prophecies that Jesus fulfilled by coming into Jerusalem, riding on this donkey on this day. First of all, Jesus fulfills Zechariah 9, verse 9. It says there, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a coat, the fowl of a donkey. Now, in Matthew's gospel, we read this being quoted. It says in Matthew 21, 4 and 5, All this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, the fowl of a donkey. Notice that Matthew says, tell the daughter of Zion in verse 5, but the prophecy of Zechariah says, rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Matthew leaves out, he is just in having salvation. Matthew quoted only a definite portion of verse 9. Why did he leave out certain things and include others? Well, that which Matthew quoted has to do with the first coming of Christ. 
Tell the daughter of Zion. The first part of the first verse in Zechariah has to do with the second coming of Christ. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Jesus came the first time riding in a little animal of peace and came bringing peace at his first coming. Tell the world, Jesus is here. Jesus is king. He's about to give his life, his second coming. He's going to be coming upon a white horse, an animal of warfare. Rejoice greatly. Your king returns. Jesus came the first time to die for our redemption, but the second time he will come to rule and reign. So Jesus fulfilled Zechariah 9, verse 9. Jesus also fulfilled Genesis 49, verse 10. In Genesis 49, verse 10, Jacob prophesies to his son Judah concerning the Messiah, and he says this, The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh comes, and to him shall be the obedience of the people. Binding his donkey to the vine, and his donkey's colt to the choice vine, he washed his garments in wine, and his clothes in the blood of grapes. See what this is talking about. It's talking about Jesus coming in, riding into Jerusalem on the donkey, offering himself as the Messiah, the King, the Savior. We read that he washed his garments in wine. What kind of wine? Blood. His own blood. But we know this. When Jesus comes a second time, his garments will be red. The question is asked in Isaiah 63 too. Why is your apparel red and your garments like one who treads in the wine press? See, at that time, it won't be his own blood. It'll be the blood of his enemies. See, it's predicting the second coming when Jesus returns in judgment. Finally, the third prophecy I want to point out to you this morning is found in Daniel chapter 9. Jesus fulfills Daniel 9, 24 through 26. Look at Daniel 9, 24 through 26. Seventy weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince shall be seven weeks and sixty-two weeks, the street shall be built again and the wall even in troublesome times. And after the sixty-two weeks, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the Prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end of it shall be with the flood until the end of the war desolations are determined." Now we know for a fact that on March 14, 445 B.C., King Artaxerxes gave that decree to Nehemiah to restore and rebuild Jerusalem. At that point, the stopwatch began. We know that where it says there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks, it's literally a description of years. There'll be a seven-year period and a 62-seven-year period before the Messiah will come. In other words, there's going to be 483 years from the time Artaxerxes gives the command to Nehemiah to restore and re- to rebuild Jerusalem, that the Messiah would come in. And 483 years later, this prophecy was fulfilled to a T as Jesus came riding into the don- and, and on the donkey April 6, 32 AD. Interesting, Daniel also prophesied what would happen at the end of those 483 years. He said Messiah would be cut off, but not for himself. At the end of that week, Jesus was cut off. He was crucified, not for himself, but for the sins of the world. Now we know, for those of you Bible prophecy buffs, we know that there's one seven-year period yet to be fulfilled. It's when 
God will, will, will pour out his, his wrath on a Christ-rejecting world, what's called the Great Tribulation Period. This will be the completion of what's known as the 70 weeks of Daniel. You know, when you look around this world today, I can't help but saying and seeing that we are extremely close to this fulfillment. So we see Jesus coming into Jerusalem. We see what he fulfilled, the prophecies he fulfilled, three of those. And think about the odds of that. It's astronomical, but yet we know that Jesus fulfilled over 300 prophecies of his first coming. Let me give you a few more. Messiah would bruise Satan's head. Genesis 3.15. Jesus destroyed the devil. Hebrews 2.14. Messiah would come from the tribe of Judah. Genesis 49.10. Jesus was from the tribe of Judah. Luke 3.23-33. Messiah would be God himself. Isaiah 9.6. Jesus was God with us. Matthew 1.23. Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. Micah 5.2. Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Matthew 2.1. Messiah would be born of a virgin, Isaiah 7.14. Jesus was born of a virgin, Matthew 1.18. All these and more of his first coming and hundreds more of his second coming. You know, the longer I spend reading God's word and going through it, I am amazed and impressed of the accuracy and the reliability of it. It is absolutely astonishing. That's why Isaiah 46, 9 and 10, God says this, For I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. No other religious leader does that. No other religious group can, can predict the future with 100% accuracy. But God's Word does that. God's Word is more reliable than any man-made philosophy, any man-made opinion. We looked at this recently, what Paul says in Colossians 2, verse 8. Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that come from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. So many voices out there in the world, well, this and this, you got to watch this and listen to this. We need to look to the Word of God. Someone says to me, well, my opinion about God and my opinion about Jesus is, is this. I say, I don't care about your opinion about God or Jesus. What does the Bible say about God or Jesus? What does His Word say? Isaiah 55, 11 says, So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. God's Word is powerful. Changes our lives. Every need we, everything we need for life and godliness, we're told in Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and the joints and marrow and as a discerner of the thought and intent of the heart. See, when it comes to your opinion about God, and for that matter, my opinion about God, it doesn't mean anything. It's a word of God that, that reveals God to us and reveals Jesus to us with pinpoint accuracy. And that's definitely more reliable than anybody's opinion. It reveals what's right, reveals what's wrong, what sin is and what sin is not. So when the world says, well, I think drunkenness is okay, it doesn't matter what you think. God's Word calls it sin. When the world says, well, I think abortion is, is okay, it doesn't matter what you think. God's Word calls it sin. It's murder. We don't look to the world to see what's right and wrong. We look to God's Word and what He tells us what is right and what is wrong. He's the final authority and He declares the end from the beginning. 
Now this brings us to our third and final point. Number three, Jesus delivers. Look now at verses 9 through 11. Then those who went before and those who followed cried out saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the kingdom of our father David that comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And Jesus went into Jerusalem and into the temple. So when he had looked around at all these things, as the hour was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. That word Hosanna means save now. The best translation of what is going down on this Palm Sunday is the people shouting, help us. Help us. Save us. We're tired of living under the control and rule of the Roman Empire. Help us. It's not so much of a personal prayer of saying, save me. He's saying, help us in this time of depression. It's a corporate cry from the nation. The king is here to overthrow the Roman oppression. But you see, again, that's not what was going on. Jesus had never done anything like this before. Usually he withdrew from the crowds when they clamored for him. Once he, he even hid himself from a crowd when they wanted to make him uh, king. But now he deliberately enters Jerusalem as king and in a way that would draw attention to himself. Jesus has said over and over again, and you read it in the Gospels, my hour has not yet come. My hour has not yet come. Over and over again. Uh, and, and he, you know, and, and he, he, now though his hour has come. Now was the time for him to come into Jerusalem. And he fulfills not only Zechariah 9, 9 as we looked at already, but Malachi 3, 1 where we read, the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. See, it was on that day that the Lord would leave no doubt at all that he came as the Messiah. Jesus knew that he was a wanted man. He knew that they wanted to kill him, yet he chose to publicize his arrival. In fact, the religious authorities commanded that anyone who was aware of his location, according to John's Gospel, they were to reveal their loca- his location to the authorities. But you see, Jesus wasn't coming forth publicly as a helpless victim, unaware of what lies ahead. But he came forth as a a powerful victor, marching forward into battle. And as he entered the city, masses of people shouted in verse 9, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This is great joy as people were worshiping the king. Yet we know that there was great sadness that filled this day. Because those same cries that were crying out, Hosanna, uh, they, they came from ignorance of what Jesus came to do. They were ignorant of God's word. The people, they wanted Jesus on their own terms. They wanted a deliverer who conformed to their plans instead of to his. Again, they wanted him to destroy Rome, but leave untouched their, their, their cherished little sins and their, their superficial religion. I read this and I look at this and I, I go, you know, there's a, not a whole lot that's changed in 2,000 years. You know, people, they, they, they love to celebrate Palm Sunday. They'll come maybe on Easter or Christmas, but they'll, 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 they'll neglect Jesus the rest of the year. They'll celebrate his birth, you know, his arrival at Christmas, but they'll live as though he never came. They celebrate the resurrection at Easter, but live as if he were dead. Many will sing praises to Jesus because they think that he's going to bring them wealth and health and success and happiness. But, but how our praises stop when obedience and commitment is required. 
We want the appearance of being religious as long as it doesn't require anything of me. That's what these people were doing. They wanted to see Jesus, but they wanted Jesus on their own terms. Lord, we want you to be our conquering king. They wanted a military messiah that would accomplish their agenda. But again, Jesus was coming as a suffering savior to accomplish God's agenda. Jesus' first coming wasn't to take the crown, but to wear a crown of thorns. Jesus didn't come to conquer Rome. He came to conquer sin and death. He didn't come to make war with Rome. He came to make peace between God and man. So they misunderstood his mission. I love what the late Leonard Ravenhill said. He said, Jesus didn't come into this world to make bad man good. He came into the world to make dead man live. The same way there are people today. Yeah, they want Jesus in their lives as long as he'll do what they want him to do. Oh yeah, preach a sermon on success. Preach a sermon on how to make my marriage a little bit stronger. How to give me, you know, whiter teeth or whatever they like. You know, it's like a Christianity self-help philosophy. But when you talk about Jesus that, that demands obedience, a Jesus that, that requires repentance and change in one's life after they've really encountered him, well, they're not so excited about that. And we see it today. People who they say they love God, but it's a God they created in their own minds, in their own terms, and it doesn't work that way. We are not to stand and dictate terms to God Almighty. To say, oh God, this is how it's going to work and you can come here, but I don't want you over here and you can come here, but, but, but you're, you're, you're out of here. Really. I mean, you think you can dictate to God what He can or cannot do in our lives? Listen to what God's Word says in Lamentations 3.22. Through the Lord's mercies we are not consumed because His compassions fell not. Or how about this, Hebrews 10.31. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. See, it's only through God's rich love and mercy that God doesn't judge His people right now for their sin. It's only through God's great love and mercy that He gives us opportunity after opportunity to repent and turn from our sins. I think this whole coronavirus thing is a wake-up call to, to, the, to, to America and to the world. That the Lord would wake us up and then say, say, turn from your wicked ways. Repent. Turn back to me. And I'll heal your land. Pray. Seek forgiveness. Listen, we all deserve judgment. We all deserve death. But God's love towards us, that while we are yet sinners, Romans 5, 8 says, Christ died for us. That is, God is so loving and so merciful and so compassionate that He chose to die for our sins and deliver us from death and judgment. That's what riding into Jerusalem on this Palm Sunday was all about. The triumphal exit. Finally, as we get ready to close, it's an interesting thing it says in Matthew's Gospel. After this parade was all over, in Matthew 21, verse 10 and 11, it says, And when he had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? So the multitude said, This is Jesus the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. Do you see who they thought Jesus was? The prophet from, the, from Nazareth of Galilee. Not the Son of God come down to earth to redeem mankind. No, they missed totally uh, who he was and what he came to do. They're all wrapped up in themselves. Wrapped up with their own needs. Wrapped up in their own situations. Essentially, the people were saying, we want to deliver. We just don't want anything required of us. 
We want something easier, something more comfortable. We want a God who will let us do what we want. We want our cake. We want to eat it too. We want to live in both worlds. Again, I think I could say that's what's going on in our world today with this virus. There's those that are turning to the Lord. Lord, help. Lord, uh, deliver us. And once it's over, see you, God, next emergency. That's making God in our own image. A God that we want only when we need something. Voltaire once said, God made man in his image and man returned the favor. That's what man wants. We want a God in our image. A God that will conform to our wishes, to our desires. A God that will fulfill our agendas. A user-friendly God that can adapt to our chosen lifestyle. We want, you know, faith light, religion a la carte, so to speak. Stroll up to some celestial salad bar of life and pick and choose the attributes of God that appeal to us, you know, like His love and His mercy and, and, and His forgiveness and compassion. But man, we back away from, oh, I, don't like, I don't like that holiness. That doesn't taste really good. Oh uh, yeah, uh, yeah that, that repentance, I don't know about that. Yet that's how these people were. They wanted Him on their terms, but Jesus would do, have nothing to do with it. Listen, we're coming to a point in this world, in this life, I believe Jesus Christ is going to come back again. And it's going to be on His terms again. It'll be at a time where He will establish His kingdom upon this earth. Let me read to you Revelation 19, verse 11 through 16 of His second coming. It says this, Now I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on him was called Faithful and True, And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations. And he himself will rule them with a rod of iron, He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. This, of course, is clearly the description uh, of the great second coming of Jesus Christ to this earth. Jesus will return as a conquering hero to establish his kingdom. And by the way, I'm expecting to have a front row seat. Maybe I should say a front saddle seat because the scripture says that armies will follow that and 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 the bible says the lord's going to come with ten thousands of his saints and we're told you know that we're going to come back with the lord on, on these horses and i think we're going to be ready to go therefore it's my belief that when christ comes back again that we are returned to this earth with him again revelation 19 speaks of his second coming but let me say this just prior to his second coming Talked about it briefly a little bit earlier. Seven years before Jesus returns, there's this wonderful event in the Bible called the rapture. Maybe you've heard of it, the rapture of the church. You know, if you have a, your Bible, you're not going to find it in there unless you have a Latin translation of the Bible. But it's there. 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17. It's there that we read, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus shall we always be with the Lord. The, the, the words caught up there in Latin are the words rapturus. That's where we get our English word rapture from. It means to be taken by force. 
The Lord is going to come prior to the seven-year tribulation period and take His church by force to be with Him. And then the seven years that will follow with the final battle of Armageddon there in the Valley of Megiddo, and then Jesus Christ will return visibly to this earth and with His people, and we're going to come back and we're going to rule and reign with Him. But He will return again. And I say all this as my heart goes out to say, I believe this day is very, very soon. I believe the rapture of the church could happen at any given moment. For those of you that go to our church, you know what I'm going to say. It could happen right now. It could happen right now. Right now. (laughs) I'm hoping one of these days when I say that, we're out of here. I can always hope. But you see, Jesus is coming back. He's coming back to rule and to reign and to set up His kingdom. And the question that I need to ask you this morning, are you ready? Are you ready? Listen, Jesus knew that He was coming into that city to pay the ultimate price for our sins. He knew coming into that city, it would lead Him to the cross. He knew that those shouts of Hosanna were turned to shouts of crucify him, crucify him. We have no king but Caesar. Yet that would not stop him on his mission. That would not stop him on his goal. To die for your sins. To die for my sins so we can have that relationship with our Heavenly Father. We can spend eternity with Him in heaven. Listen, as we close this morning, and you're listening to this sermon online, and you've never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, Maybe you don't know that Jesus came to this earth to die for your sins, but I'm here to tell you that He did. And if you would just put your faith and trust in Him right now as you're listening to this, Jesus Christ will come into your life. He'll forgive you of all of your sin. He'll give you hope of eternal life and abundant life here on this earth. If you want to make that prayer this morning, I want to lead you in this prayer. You just pray this right where you're at, in your living room, in your bedroom, wherever you're watching this message. You just pray this prayer right now. Believe it from your heart. And God will come into your life. Jesus will forgive you of your sins because He paid the debt for your sin. Just pray this prayer after me. God, I'm sorry for my sin. I turn from it today. Jesus, come into my heart. Be my Savior. Be my Lord. Be my God. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for rising again from the dead. Thank you that you're coming for me. I give my life to you now. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I pray. We pray as a church that there are those that have made that commitment this morning. And if you did, would you please drop us a line? ccspringfield at aol.com. Yeah, we still have AOL. Uh, ccspringfield at aol.com and let us know that you made this commitment so we can respond to you and, and we can reach out to you. would love to, to, to know what, what God's doing in your life. We can, pray, we can uh, pray for you and answer any questions you may have. Finally, for us as a church, as the worship team comes on up and, and we're going to do one more song to, to worship with, uh, I, I want to read Isaiah 41.10. And these verses, of what this verse speaks of, there's many places where God says this, but it's always, you know, spoke to my heart in times of trouble, in times of uncertainty. And here's what Isaiah 41.10 tells us. It says this, Fear not, for I am with you. 
Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. I love that verse. Now, so much has been put on hold. So much has been postponed, canceled. We're missing out what normal looks like. Man, I miss you guys. I miss Sunday morning seeing your faces here, you know. But, but, but I, I want to encourage you with this. Lives are being changed. The gospel is still going forth. People are still coming to faith in Jesus Christ. God is still being glorified and the church is still moving. We may be doing church differently, but God is still on the stone and Jesus Christ is still the head of his church. <laughs> In fact, I heard this, or last night, that, that uh, uh, our president, President Donald Trump, is tuning in to Pastor Greg Laurie's service this morning at Harvest Online. I mean, you know what? It's awesome. It's awesome. Listen, my heart for us during these times is what I shared last time. Uh, I want to encourage you to reach out to one or two people. Just pick up the phone and give them a call and say hi. Listen, despite the rumors, the virus can't go through the telephone line. So you can, you can make it through. So call, say hi. Hey, if you want to pray, pray with them. They'll be blessed. You'll be blessed. And most of all, man, let's pray that God gives us opportunities during this crisis to see Him glorified, Him lifted up, and revival in our land. I'll have you all stand, and we'll do one last song together.